Yes, of course. Burl Bearer. I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. Ah, likely story. Ladies and gentlemen, live from the gleaming Streamline, state-of-the-art studios of OutlawRadioLive.com, nestled in our secret bunker somewhere in the Los Angeles area, following program is produced by Magic Matt Allen on the Outlaw Radio Network. I am the legendary Burl Bear, Howard Lapidus, manager of the star and every burglar and diamond thief in the world has yet to stumble through the door on his back from Maui, Internet. Mark C.G. Boyer, our fact checker, he's loaded up with facts and he's checked them all. So is, is this what the show's about today? The show is about uh, a book by uh, Alan R. Warren called Last Man Standing, Jack Daniels McCullough, which is, I was going to slap him around a bit about the title. Yeah. Because one of my favorite true crime books of all time by Jack Olson is called Last Man Standing, the true story of Geronimo Pratt. Absolutely fabulous book. And I'd gladly have Jack on the show, except he died several years ago, which makes it difficult to have him unless... Not necessarily. Well, you do the entire show through a trans medium or a Ouija right. board. But uh, similar title, and that's a little, little tricky. But uh, this is a fascinating book for two reasons. Reason number one. It's a fascinating story. Number two. The, the way he has written it is, from a journalistic standpoint, quite interesting. Because, you know, for years, we always had the thing, if you're a journalist, you keep yourself out of the story. You know, you're not in it. Correct. Then you get to something like uh, the book uh, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. Yeah. Award-winning a true crime book, uh, quite successful, also made into a motion picture, where the author of the book puts himself in the story where he actually wasn't. He wasn't there. But in writing the novel, the book... You can do whatever you want. He can do whatever you're a writer. You can do whatever you want. He puts himself in the story. Sure. He wasn't even there. I would have done that. Yeah, who could blame him? Yeah. Or Lorenzo Cartero, who wrote the book Sleepers, which was made into a motion picture with Robert De Niro and Dustin Hoffman and uh, Kevin Bacon. Yeah. Everybody and their dogs in that movie. And originally it was supposed to be a true crime book. Seven true crime authors, including Jack Olson and uh, Gary C. King, petitioned the publisher to say, to admit it's not a true story. It wasn't a true story. It was totally okay. fiction. True crime. Right. Uh, but this was sold as true crime when it was really good fiction. So there were like exposés, you know, and articles written, this isn't a true story. You can look up, this isn't a true, this never happened. These people, you know, this didn't exist. This trial never took place. And Lorenzo says, well, I'm laughing all the way to the bank. He didn't care one way or the other. Uh, so finally, when they did the movie, uh, it said based on the controversial novel by Lorenzo Cartero. It didn't say based on the true crime. No, it, 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 I think that the, what's wrong with saying that? Nothing. Because it was based on the novel. Yeah. Instead of saying based on the shocking true story. Why? Because uh, didn't exist. I'm calling Outlaw Radio now. No answer. Well, that's Make not... sure he has the right number. Yeah, yes, he probably does. <laughs> I'll just tell him. Keep calling, big fellow. Hold on a second. There we go. Is he there? Yeah. So let's start the show, bro. Okay. I haven't been here in a few weeks, and it's a pleasure being back. And Alan R. Warren has joined us now. Have a challenge? Christ, bud. Hello? 
Alan? Hello, hello once. Hello twice. Arrivederci. <clears throat> uh, Matt, did you say he was there? Yeah, he was. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to live radio. Well, Alan. Hello. He's not there. I think he fell off the phone. <clears throat> he fell off the phone. So we have to call back. Say, sure, Alan, sure call, back. call back. Call back. I'll tell him, call back. Call back. So, Mark, how are you? I'm semi-lovely. Good. Uh, I understand you had a fabulous time there. Hello? I did. I had a great vacation. First one in a zillion years. Well, you're looking really well. Sat in the sun, ate good food, slept. Ah. And I rented a car for that. <laughs> any time in the water. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I went in the water. I've had some incredible experiences swimming around oh, uh, the Hawaiian Islands. On my, uh, on my six times I was there. It's a, uh, it's a really nice place to go. And it's the only vacation... I've ever I've ever had where I didn't get sick. Is that right? Yeah, everywhere uh, I travel anywhere and I catch a cold or. Have you have you boiled that down to something? Uh yes, I don't travel well. Okay. But Hawaii, my allergies didn't bother me. Uh, no, they don't bother you there. It's in the United States. No, my allergies. I am. It says the phone's every... ringing. Matthew. He sends the phone ringing. All right, this time, stay on the mark. Hello, Alan. Oh, Alan. Hello, oh, guest. Rochester. Rochester. <laughs> Hello. Hello, Alan. How hey, you doing? Got a guest. You there? I'm okay. How are you? Well, better and better every day in every way now that I've got you on the radio with me. And uh, Howard's here and Mark Boyer. Welcome back. And we were discussing uh, various other books besides yours. No, we, <laughs> were we were waiting we for were you. Discussing his book. Yeah, right? we were. We were yes. talking about the title, and I was, didn't like the title, but that's okay. <laughs> so yeah, did you know that, Alan? He doesn't like the title. Yeah, but that's so, all right. Welcome to the show. Yeah, uh, the book's great. However, uh, Last Man Standing uh, by, by the Last Man Standing is Jack Daniel McCulloch by Alan R. Warren. It's a true story, a shocking story, and fascinating the way you wrote the story. I got a question for you, all right? When, all you, right. Wrote, when you wrote this book, I don't know who your editor was or what the uh, original uh, publisher you were dealing with. It's Wild Blue Press now. Yes, uh, well, I've heard of them. Uh, was there any discussion on the way you told the story with you being in it? No, not at all. Okay, I was curious about that. Because there's, uh, there's a whole different theories and schools of journalism, and that's one school. I can't remember what the title of it is. Uh, and then um, the other where you you know, you know you have to keep yourself out of it 100%. You can't even break the fourth wall. You can't you know talk to anybody. <laughs> you don't make any comments. Uh, uh, I mean, in, in my book, uh, Man Overboard, I'm, I make snide remarks to various people in the book. <laughs> by, by, by the way, Alan, that's a record for Burrell. He mentioned the, the title of his book. Well before yours, yeah, almost sort of. Almost sort of. <laughs> I'm pretty good at that, yeah. Alan knows. 
But this is really an excellent book and a fascinating story. And uh, I find the fact that a lot of the book is you interacting with the characters and interacting with the issues raised by the story. And I'd really appreciate it if you would give our audience a quick overview of what the book is about. Well, yeah, actually, I, I, the reason I had interaction with them, too, was because, um, you know, on my previous books, I never did. I never, ever got involved or wrote about being involved, and, and uh, that seemed to be one of the biggest complaints people had. So um, with this one, I started uh, getting more involved and in giving an opinion. Um, uh, with this, this was about, about Jack McCulloch, Jack Daniel McCulloch, and right. he... Um, was uh, put away for a 1957 murder of Maria Ridolph, a six-year-old girl um, in the Chicago area. And um, at the end of the day, he got out in 2017, and um, it's really thought that he didn't do it. Now, yeah, and he uh, sued their ass for some big bucks. Well, yeah, it's important to kind of know that he's not a very good character, and he has a lot of flaws, and um, I wanted to make sure people knew all of that, um, but I didn't want them to think that that would be the, um, you know, that, that you can't convict someone for being guilty of something just because they're not a very nice person. That's true, although that happens quite often. Yeah. Unless yeah. they got money. Oh, yeah. The, the pu public opinion. You know, even back then it was uh, on a smaller scale because, you, don't, you know, nowadays, you know, it's constant judgment on, on all the social media networks. But back then they didn't have that, um, you know. That's right. So, um, so, but still, it's still they, he didn't have a very good reputation. He was a renter in, a, in, an, in an area that was... Uh, you know, people that owned homes, and uh, they had a total different opinion of him and his family, and there, therefore he was um, really in the negative. So he was a, if you wanted to close the case, you could pick someone such as he and put it on him. Oh, it was easy, yeah. You know, he had, uh, his parents were split. He, he, he was living with uh, a stepfather and stepsisters, and, and uh, they were renting. They moved every year. The father changed jobs all the time, or the stepfather. So they were just kind of, they, it was really easy targets. And he, he, he wasn't the best kid in school. And uh, he caused a lot of trouble, got into fights, uh, stole things. You know, he did all sorts. He was just like one of those kids. So, yeah. um, it so was it's easy very to, easy pit a murder to, on to pick him and nobody would care, you yeah. know. Meanwhile, what always pisses me off about this is, okay, you, pin, you say, okay, we'll pin this uh, murder on, on this guy over here because we can convict him real easy. Meanwhile, the real killer is still out there. <clears throat> we should know. <laughs> we should know, yeah. Carl, what, that what the, the trial and conviction was current, not back in the 50s. Whatever you say, Mark. Okay, go ahead, Alan. Well, I mean, there's there's context here. If, if the trial had been conducted at the time around when the murder was, different story than trying to prosecute him 40 years later. Well, that's true. Alan, yeah. it, uh, continue right. the story. Well, <laughs> well what, it, what I, yeah, that, what I was going to say was that he, uh, he, he carried on that reputation everywhere he 
because that's the type of person he was. So even when he did get convicted out of Seattle, he still had that reputation. And he still did a lot of bad things um, in his life or things that were not considered too good. And, uh, and so therefore, um, it wasn't hard to put him on it. You know, you have to look at it too. Also, in 1957, at first, the FBI was on the case, mm-hmm. and they had they had a prime suspect. They had a few people, and the um, and when the when the body of the girl was found, she was still in Illinois. So the FBI closed their files. But when you look at the character, which I've listed in there of who they had on on you know uh, as a suspect, he was caught the next year. 1958 and convicted of doing a child's rape um, and, and put away for the exact same crime this was. So the, pretty much the person who probably really did it was already in the slammer. Right. So that really so, makes it difficult to find someone new and convict them. <laughs> yeah. Even if it takes so, years. So, <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, you know, again, there's no, uh, the, the, and also the FBI, when they interviewed this guy, he he also had met the girls and admitted to talking to them 15 minutes before uh, the kidnapping happened. Hmm. So, you know, he was at the place. Uh, he had contact with the girls. 15 minutes later, um, the one girl goes missing, and she get, and she found ends up being dead. You know, found dead. Uh, that's that's a pr- pretty good. Uh, you know, connection there, especially because, like I said, he did it maybe six months later to a different girl. Well, it sounds like a pattern. Yeah, yeah. Now, now with, with, um, with that being said, how was it that years later, all of a sudden they're going after uh, Jack McCullough? Well, what had happened was uh, his mother uh, died of cancer. And uh, she was pretty sick. She was in her on her deathbed, and she was um, on a lot of heroin and other drugs, morphine that they were giving her, uh, because she was in such pain. Now, according to uh, his two stepsisters, they said that she um, told them on her deathbed that uh, Jack was the one that did the two little girls that took them, or and and raped and killed the one and not to let him get away with it. So it was her deathbed confession that um, the stepsisters uh, started approaching different police departments and uh, trying to get them to take on the case. And it took them quite a while. It wasn't, it wasn't immediate. It was quite a few attempts before um, the police decided to take it on, reopen the case, and uh, look at Jack McCulloch, and uh, that's kind of where it all began. Um, now, again, I have to have to mention that when they did arrest him and try him and convict him, they still did not allow the FBI report into the trial. Yes, that amazed con- me. I read that in your book. They said it was hearsay, the FBI's timeline report. Right. Yeah, <laughs> they considered it hearsay because... They couldn't get any of those agents because they're dead or whatever the case, not not in a condition to talk. Um, So they couldn't get a hold of them or they couldn't use them, so it would be hearsay evidence. Um, Wait a second, if it was in the FBI files and it was written down, that wouldn't be hearsay. It would be FBI evidence file or something. Well, in... in, uh, 
in Illinois, that would be considered hearsay, <laughs> according to the judge. Okay, well, uh, put that on appeal. <laughs> yeah, well, well, actually, that's kind of what they did, and and eventually he did get out, but it didn't help that he was he had to serve a lot of years, like ten years or so, in prison, and and because he was an ex-cop and convicted of uh, child, uh, you know, murder. And and uh, everybody considered him a rapist of a six-year-old. Uh, they were all all out to get him. Yeah, no kidding. Now uh, you met this fella, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Did Spent it. a lot of time with him and the family. And uh, did he look like you imagined at all? Uh, no, uh, not at all. Actually, um, I saw a lot of the videos. I watched the whole confession. And then, um, or interview, I should say, not confession. And um, so I had all these uh, ideas ahead of time. And then when I actually met him, uh, he was nothing like what I expected. He was, um, he wasn't near as big of a person. He was small, small frame, tiny. And um, I really, really thought he was huge before from the, the way, you know, I saw him on the news things. And um, he was a small guy. Um, and he was really, really, um, I guess if I could have to use the word, uh, gentle mm -hmm. and jolly would be the two words I would use. Well, probably because so, so he was, was out of prison. It, <laughs> it was Santa Claus in jail. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, he was. He was a small, little, tiny Santa Claus. He was yeah. not. He, you know, I'm not a big frame guy. You know, I'm uh, average, and he's smaller than me. And he was um, almost bouncy and uh, jolly about everything he was doing. So it, it kind of took me off guard. Because well, you I know, after expecting... ten years in prison for a crime you probably didn't commit, I'd be probably bouncy and jolly too <laughs> to see you at a restaurant. What? Yeah, no doubt, and he was happy about that. But it just, it, you know, it seemed that way right through. Because, you know, when you read it at the beginning, I, I, it, it, the first thing he says to me is, you know, my son thinks I'm a, a racist. And um, he has a lot of bad things to talk about, but he seemed very happy when he was talking, you yeah. know? It didn't fit. Yeah, it's a, it's a strange like, like thing. He, there. Yeah, it's almost like he was flippant, you know, like, oh, my son thinks I'm a racist, huh? Just, you know, I just don't want any blacks or Jews. <laughs> well, yeah, there's <laughs> you know. two problems right there, Whoopi Goldberg and yeah. well, that, Sammy Davis Jr. Right, that puts, uh, that puts <laughs> yeah. the three of us out. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, but, but, you know, he almost seemed happy about it, which which just, it didn't seem to be, uh, it yeah, didn't fit well, what he was the George saying. Lincoln Rockwell the words he was saying was not <laughs> matching his image or, or the, his expressions. Hey, do you know how much he was su he's suing for, the wrongful conviction? Oh, how much he's what, suing for? Yeah, for the wrongful conviction. Oh, well, actually, his family's suing. He's, he's staying out of it, um, according to him. He's, he's part of it, but the family's suing. He wants, he wants really nothing to do with it, mm -hmm. and he's 78, and he says, I won't be alive by the time they see the money. Mm -hmm. And um, for him, he doesn't care. Um, but they're suing, I think it was $40 million was makes, the last number I heard. Because Stephen Avery, what was $35 million? And just yeah. before he was supposed to yeah. collect it, they arrest him? For <laughs> uh, right. Yeah, that's pretty close. Um, they'll probably get it. You know, there's a lot of things they did wrong. And even when you look through the transcript and the, and the trial part, um, 
you know, things like uh, they changed the hours, you know, <laughs> when his father was watching that Western. You know, they only had three TV channels back then. Right. And it was really easy to pick the time and to know. And and also when he made the phone call collect from um, right. about an hour and a half outside of Chicago when he was applying at the military, and uh, he called his mother. It was three minutes to seven, and, and we actually, they, they have that. And they know the girls were taken at quarter to seven. So how could you make an hour and a half journey in fifteen right. minutes? Yeah, yeah. He, w- he wasn't even there. There's something else no. that really that really As Mark Boyer has me. a comment. Yeah, Mark it really confused me. You this this uh, Sycamore is a very small town, and um, uh, John was lived a few houses away. The girls knew him, and he knew them. So when somebody comes up to the two girls and says, hey, do you want to play and show me your doll, whatever the conversation was, the girls would have recognized their neighbor. But at no time did the, uh, the surviving girlfriend ever comment, oh, yeah, it was our neighbor. Right. And yeah. I, yeah. No. No. Kathy. Ca- yeah. Kathy Sigmund was the other girl, and uh, she. Yeah. That. That was a big problem for me as well because, you know, he had he had seen her. They had, they're, they're a couple houses away. They 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 knew each other, and then um, and then when she she actually uh, told the police what happened, she said a guy come up and said his name is Johnny, and she like piggyback ride and and all this sort of stuff. But yet she had no idea who he was. Yeah. And plus, her description of him was it was totally different. You know, it was a guy with a big split between his front teeth and uh, the hair color. Everything was different. And um, it wasn't until um, the trial back in uh, 2000s that um, she changed all of it. She changed her description. Uh-huh. She said she, uh, as soon as she saw him, she knew it was him. Oh, boy. But yet, Someone prepped could, her, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, what, what, the what, whole thing was... was what, just, what did uh, happen? Who got to her? How did that happen? Well, you know what? She ended up being best friends with one of his stepsisters. And the stepsister that she was best friends with happened to be um, accused him, of the brother, you know, of raping her. So Jack McCulloch was accused of raping his own sister uh, when he was 17 and she was 14. And uh, they took him to court, and uh, it was dismissed. He was acquitted of it. But, and I, and I sort of believed it, too, for I just thought that she was accusing him. And this is what I mean by saying he's not the best character, because um, then later, half, when I was halfway through the book, and when I had already talked to him lots, and he, and he, just, and he um, just said, there's no way, I didn't touch her, and it wasn't true, and uh, he didn't want to talk about it. Then I find the police confession where he told them that he did. Um, yeah, well, you can't so, believe a confession. Yeah, well, he, you know, and they, but he, he didn't. What, what he was saying was, while well, we had sex, we, they, they enjoyed each other's company, but it was not rape. That's possible. Yeah, it, the whole family sounds yeah. a little bit weird. Well, yeah, and and it's not you know how can you go back forty years and yeah. really tell? I don't know, but either way, he uh, there's something really weird about that relationship, and um, she was after Jack since then, and I and I don't know why I can't I can't 
you know, you know she, she's passed since then of, of cancer, and uh, we can't really get to uh, the motive that she had, but there was a definite weird twist to their yeah, relationship. Yeah, well, I've seen some pretty weird, twisted stuff in, me, in my life, uh, Alan. Uh, well, I won't mention the people's names, but there was a situation where stepfather goes to the uh, stepdaughter and says, listen, you're teenage girl, you're drinking way too much. I'm very concerned that uh, you may have alcoholism. So if you can lighten up on the drinking, I'm going to have to tell your mom how much I know you're drinking. So for a preemptive strike, she goes to the mother and says that the stepfather has molested her, which wasn't true. But yeah, uh, so she is, you know, he, he can't explain his way out of it. You know, I mean, she believes the daughter. She divorces him, etc. So the daughter continues drinking heavily until she drinks herself into a stupor. But the point is that people will say things and then almost convince themselves that it's true eventually. Uh, and until you call them on and say, you know that never happened. <laughs> you know that you know that's not real, if you know. You know, and you got to back down. But so people do some strange stuff and will hold on to that for 40 years if they have to, to try to make themselves right even if they're dead right. Which yeah. maybe she was or, doing. Or, or dead. Uh, yeah, yeah it's, it's like I said, it's one of those things I can't, you know, and because she's passed, I can't really get into her. Yeah. I can just read all of her statements and then uh, kind of go through it. But I, I'll tell you, there was, it, it was a weird relationship. I, I think that they were um, spending time together. Mm-hmm. I, like I, I don't stones. think that he raped her, but... But we weren't again. there, and we don't have the pictures. No. Uh, no. <laughs> what really irks me about stories such as this, and you wrote it brilliantly, of course, is that in this case, who was probably the real guy, the guy who really did it, he was already in prison because they got him six months later, a year later. But yeah. a lot of these cases, the, the cops decide who did it when he didn't. And they bend the evidence, whatever, to get the conviction. Meanwhile, the real killer is out there. The real rapist is out there. That's just a, the Willis Wilson story. Uh, we had him on the show years ago where he fit the description, but he wasn't the guy. And they wanted to charge him like seven murders. So you have to try to make, make a deal with him. You know, we'll only give you 50 years if you confess to these. And he held out insisting he was innocent until went to trial and he was found innocent in 45 minutes. And the judge bought him ice cream afterwards. But what the hell he went through, you know? And then, here's the kicker, he sees the real guy months later. They wind up in the same bar, sitting side by side. And he gets hold of the guy, the real guy, the guy you thought I was? He's here, da 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 The cops didn't want to hear about it. We don't care, we don't care. We don't want to talk to you. Why would they do that? Because they were pissed, pissed at. People, <laughs> they want to close the case. You know, I've run into this... I had a situation, I don't, I'm not going to take time away from Alan, but they testified in court, the detectives testified that they were watching this guy, this suspect, 24-7. And then later in the trial, the detectives say that he moved the body at one particular point. So I went to the detectives afterwards and said, wait a second, if you had him under surveillance 24-7 he moved the body, you would have seen him move the body. And... And he just looked at the floor and said, well, we closed the case. And that's that. That's that. That guy's still in prison. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's just not a... Um, I don't know what it is. If, if they just get it in their mind and they really believe that someone did it, they really believed he did it. And, and you know, the, 
you know, I know two of the cops that arrested him in Seattle. I'm, I'm, I'm friends with them, and one I, I know well enough that we talk all the time. And uh, they really, really uh, believe that he did it. And there's, there's just nothing's going to change their mind. Hmm. Well, they say the truth comes out, but sometimes you're dead before it comes out, and it does you much good. And and I trust you believe. Yeah, I don't know if you know. If you do, you have a, if you formed an opinion on this one. I mean, by the by the phone call, he couldn't possibly have done it because he wasn't anywhere near the place. Yeah, and I think that says it all. I think he's the type of person that could have done it, but he didn't. I think he's <laughs> the type of person that probably. Uh, has done a lot of bad things, you know. He he uh, he got uh, fired from the police department there in Tacoma, south of Seattle. That takes a lot uh, of hard work to get fired from Tacoma Police Department. Uh, that's exactly the Tacoma aroma. Yeah. Uh, he got fired from there for um, uh, taking a runaway girl home that was 15 and letting her sleep on the couch. And then he had sex with her. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, they, they fired him for that. And uh, how did they, he, he how did usually they, in Tacoma, they give you a promotion. <laughs> how, how did they know? Well, the girl, the girl actually uh, came forward later to her mother, and then the mother went to the police, and then the police investigated, and then he admitted to having sex with her. Of course, she said that he, uh, he assaulted her. And he said, "No, I, it was it was um, just it was sensual. It was consensual on both sides." It's still statutory, uh, but, but right. so the police took it as, and well, even if it's true, she was only fifteen, so they they fired him for that. Yeah, well, that's understandable. Yeah. So, uh, he, but he had quite he had quite a, a, a shaky past like that, and, and the, when but, you but meet him, you, you realize you so, that, as you so rightly stated earlier. The guy can be the biggest jerk in the world and did all sorts of horrible stuff, but if he didn't do this, he didn't do this. You know, exactly. It's that simple. Yeah. You don't convict yeah. someone for, gee, he's the kind of guy who would have, could have, might have. I would. Right. You know, he, was, he wasn't. Right. It's like Stephen but Avery. You know, he had yeah. the Walmart receipts. He was out of town. You know? Yeah. <laughs> well, but the, still you know, know, the problem but is, look, he's too, out of town. The- yeah, the, the cops, even a lot of them that I do know that were around this case, even say, well, you know, they they just think that uh, he's, they don't have anything good to say about him, and they don't really care. They have no sympathy for him. Uh, um, and that's the best way I can put it, because, uh, I, I, you know, we can't. We can't say their words, but it's pretty its pretty graphic what they think about him. Yeah, well, the so, guy may be the, a low life from hell, but if he didn't do the crime, you, you're not supposed to convict him because you don't like him. <laughs> exactly, and I think that's kind of how, uh, how I wanted it to come across. I didn't want to soft-step it, and I didn't know that they, him and the family did want a lot of things not mentioned, and they did want to keep a lot of stuff out between him and the sister. Um, but I, I couldn't do that. At, right. at the end of the day, I had to put that in because I think it's more effective if people realize right. that it's it's really not about other things he's done. It's about this particular crime. And uh, um, if we're going to have if if we're going to put the, the test to the justice system, we better put it for the right reasons. And yeah. and so putting someone away for what could have been life. <laughs> For something you didn't do, 
is not the answer to um, yeah, that, that you know a bad cop. Well on the American or, uh, justice system, no. Yeah, I mean, you know, and and I put in some of. I mean, one of his key phrases to me was, you know, the the reason the United States went to hell was in the '60s they decided to let a woman work. <laughs> yeah, that's a big problem, right? I, I mean, you know, but <laughs> I wasn't going to cover that up. It's like, well, okay, um, that's the type of person we're talking about. So he's not exactly politically correct. <laughs> Probably also not rational, but. Uh... That yeah. doesn't mean he murdered anybody. It's like we had a guy on who was the uh, one-time boyfriend of the woman who died in Phil Spector's house, the gunshot, all that. And, of course, Phil Spector was, uh, the first time around, the blood expert testified that the way the blood was on Spector, the only way that blood was is, is if he was leaning over her trying to help her and she coughed. That's the only way that kind of blood evidence would exist. That doctor was not available to testify in a second trial. Now he's now in prison. Uh, which I find real iffy. But the guy was saying, well, he should be convicted because uh, he fired a gun in the studio when uh, John Lennon was there, and he fired a gun in the studio when he was produced with the Ramones. I said, that has nothing to do with it. It has nothing to do with whether or not he shot this woman. He has no prior history of shooting people. And if he had, that still wouldn't mean he was guilty well, of shooting Well, sh shooting person. at people. Let's, let's or shooting it. in the air to get their oh, okay. And yeah. then ordering Chinese food, which is what he did with the Ramones. You know, you know, and, and a big problem is, you know, the cops that interviewed him in Seattle and, and, and the two of them that I know, um, they, you know, the thing is that during the interviews, uh, he lied a lot. He was there. He lied. I had a lie specialist look at the, um, the uh, interrogation and point out all the things that he said and did wrong that, you know, were obvious lies. And he did. So the cops automatically have this person that is kind of, you know, a, a seedy person, and he's lying to them for 10 hours. So in their mind, he's just guilty. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's really tough to change that or get, to get them off of that, because right away um, they're focused, and there's nothing going to make them believe any different now. Is a lie specialist... Um you grow up to be want to be one? Yeah, Cecilia Bach is a life specialist. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, no, he writes books on uh, how to catch a liar and and. Uh, I was just reading Cecilia Bach's book called "Lying: All the Different Kinds of Lies and Why People Tell Them." And you know, that's fascinating. Yeah, he's he's that kind of guy. So uh, I just thought I'd have a second opinion and have someone like that. So right. he's got you know a little uh, verbiage in the book just to analyze the interrogation and. Um, because I'm jaded in the sense that I've met him and I know the family, and I've I, I, so I just wanted to get an outside opinion on it. And uh, and it's obvious he did lie. He did. He did. He told a lot of stories. He changed his stories. Um, you know, but he's the kind of guy that was doing a lot of things that he shouldn't have been doing, <laughs> and was just up for any time a cop sitting there that he's just going to make up stories. Yeah, well, the thing is that sometimes some really ethical people will do really unethical things when it comes to telling stories, and so you don't know what's true and what's not true. That's uh, how you write your books, isn't it? Yeah, you got yeah. yeah. to sift through that stuff. There's <laughs> some pretty weird, weird things out there, writing true crime. Is, uh, well, you don't want to, uh, what do you call it, forensic journalism or something that supposedly I'm qualified for, but being as I never went to school for, they'd rip me apart on the witness stand. And that is, I could read a police report, 
and you read along, and then all of a sudden, I'm sure that you're the lying expert. <laughs> a lie expert does this also. You can see when they start lying. You'll be going along, yeah. true, 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 and all of a sudden, you can, here's where the lie starts, and you can tell. And it's not that difficult if you once you know what to look for. Same thing with yeah. sort of so, so what is it you look for, bro? Liars go into far too much detail. No kidding. And so you're going, oh, it was 12 o'clock, we saw the movie, da, 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 da. all of a sudden, 12.02 and 30 seconds, we drove 15 miles. It always gets into this all this detail that nothing before it has all this detail, nothing after it has all this detail. But the lie has all this detail in it. And people, when they lie to you in person, they will all often go into far greater explanation than they would if it was simply truth. <laughs> you know, it's like bringing verbal evidence that's fake. But, uh, you know, you don't want to accuse everybody of that. But, uh, fake news. Yeah, fake news. Find out what fake news means. That news I don't like. <laughs> <laughs> well, there as you go. To, um, as opposed to fake news. Oh, someone's calling me right now with some fake news. How dare they call while I'm on the air doing a radio show. So, uh, did you learn anything uh, from this case, personally? Uh, uh, personally, um, yeah, I think, I think that um, there's a lot of ideas that I had before yeah, about the justice system and about cops and all that stuff, and, I, and, and just, just knowing some of them and, and uh, seeing it all firsthand, um, it, it, it just made me realize how things can get screwed up and um, how people you can really respect and, and like and think they do a really good job and mean to do a good job. At, uh, but at the end of the day, or when you see something like this happen and the way it happens, um, it just, I believe it to be true now that, um, that uh, per, the, you know, cops are just people, so the personality takes over, uh, the bias, and, and people just make mistakes. And um, things like this happen. And, and I think it happens a lot more than we believe and i think i used to i think i used to have more of the concept that you know yeah right people are guilty and i didn't have quite the uh i had more faith in convictions and people that were put away than i do now i i'm a little more questioning now um even of really good policing and good policemen and detectives so what 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 you look at good guys like that what takes you south Well, I, um, I don't know. I, I, it's, it's like I said. It's just the whole thing. It just, it all confuses me, um, because you sit in the room with a couple of the cops and you're talking to them, or if you're having a beer and they're telling you about the case, they're just so, they're so a hundred percent sure. They so believe in what they do. Um, even when you're off script and you're not doing a book or an interview. Um, so I, I, it's just you just can't convince convince them, and it, I don't I don't know the whole thing. It's just it just uh, I just realized that it, it's just not um, things are not what you see. Yeah, and they never have been. 
And never will be. Right. <laughs> Which reminds me... Are you reminded of something? Right, just suddenly reminded me of this wonderful experience. I was with this a couple. They had a Mercedes convertible two-seater. There were three of us. And so you got... She's in the driver's seat. He's in the passenger seat. And where's Burl Bear? They put me in the back, but there's no seat there, right? So I'm sitting on the trunk of the car with my feet inside, which is horribly illegal and terribly dangerous. And we're in Van Nuys in a sleazified neighborhood. And we're at the stop sign, and a cop car pulls up next to us. And they just turn, and they look at me. And I'm happy to be all dressed up for some reason, like suit and tie, sitting on top of this Mercedes totally illegally. And they just look at me and look at the drivers, and I looked at the cops, and I said... These are not the droids you want. <laughs> and they just let us drive off. Sometimes it's just all in the delivery. As Oscar Schindler said, sometimes you can get away with things and sometimes you can't. Well, that's right on his list. Yeah. yeah. Along with uh, eggs, uh, milk, cheese. What? What? That's his list. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. no. I have no idea what he's, no idea what he's talking about. So, uh, Alan, going on to other topics, how do you manage to write a book a week? <laughs> Explain this to us. Oh, I, I do. A, I, I, I've been on heroin now. Well, for... <laughs> <laughs> just slow you down. You'll be typing very slowly. Uh, no, actually, I'm, I'm always. I've got like two books going now. I've always got um, books going. Um, so I don't. Oh, do you ever get? Um, do you, do you that get, one took a couple of years. You get confused. That, that was a, do you get confused a long between, process. That book. You get oh. confused between one book and the other. Yeah, do you ever like cross? So you're writing one book and you get confused and put the other information in the wrong book. That would be kind of fun. <laughs> no, and, and you got to remember, some of my books are the short reads too. So yeah. they're um, ones I had done. And just well, uh, this one was written with the last man standing, Jack McCall. Uh, when was that book actually written originally? Uh, when did it first come out? 1912? What? Hold on, I didn't hear you there. 2018. Uh, was that the first time this book came out? Last man yes, standing? Yeah, that, that was, uh, I believe, October when I, that came out. Ah. Well, it's from Wild Blue Press. I know them. Told, yeah, they're a little publisher down in the yeah, south. <laughs> yeah, they're in uh, Denver, Colorado. They publish some of my books as well. Nice people. Yeah, fun to work with. Plus, they give you a nice royalty rate. They will not. <laughs> they will not, and refuse to publish any of my books. They refuse to. You have any books refused. to publish? What's that? You have any books to publish? Six. Six of them. Huh? Yes. Yes. Any of them involve uh, a particular dancer singer used to represent? <laughs> Oh, uh, I was going to say, the Paula Abdul they probably published. Come on. <laughs> the famous book, My 89 Days with Paula Abdul. Yeah, it's uh, a yeah. great title. You just need the title. You don't need the book. Oh, just the, the title says it all. It, I've sold that six yeah. times on that title. Yeah. But I won't write the book. 89 days. <laughs> 89 so there's 89 pages. Yeah, no, it was actually, it was 92 days, but 89 much further. Sounds better. Yeah. 89, so like Brooklyn. Sounds better. Yep. Three of them you can't remember. <laughs> oh, 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 oh you trust me all. on this. I remember every second of every day. <laughs> you remember the smell. That, too. Yeah, that was China. <laughs> hey, are you somewhere where there's a vacuum cleaner? That's what it sounds like. I had to say that. She listens to the show, and she's going to sue me now. Oh, yeah, she's, told, she's dead. She's not going to sue you. Oh, Paula? No, China. Oh, China Phillips? Yeah. Which China? China, the WWF China. Oh, China's dead. Oh. Yeah, it was a body slam. Yes, it was. 
You were slamming. On a Thursday. <laughs> Thursday. In Madison, Wisconsin. Wow. Is that, a, that? that sounds like a vacuum cleaner. Yes, I, is that a vacuum cleaner? Oh, uh, yeah, that's my hair dryer. Oh, he's doing your hair while this is going on? It's hysterical. <laughs> that's, that's funny. <laughs> I don't know. I don't have any hair. Oh, that's right. I'll look at the picture here of you and your ball. There's zero hair. Zero hair. You shave that? No, I have it tied back just for the pictures. Come on. You... <laughs> no, it's not tied back. No. Do you shave do I mean, actually, Do you shave your head? Oh, I have to trim it, yeah, because uh, it gets a little fuzzy. I don't have any hair. Never had hair since I was 16. Wow. Really? That's tough. Yeah. See, my not son like that, does you know, that. My son I can't shaves put on his pictures head. of me when I was younger outside of the studio, like uh, old Burl there, where he's got big, long, hippie hair. It looks like he was in... Uh, some metal band. That's right. He was a roadie for a metal band. <laughs> yeah, but I didn't lift anything over 10 pounds, so they fired me. Yeah, I, I had yeah. a, a hair person once that told me, and it must have been 23 years old, oh, you're going to have hair your whole life. You could tell. I said, even even when I'm, like, in my late 60s. Yep. Right again. Yeah, they yeah. were right. Right again. I have hair, it's just that it's thin now. No, nope, mine's not even Well, you're thin. not that old yet. Oh, yeah, I am. I'm older than Howard, and that's old. Mm. I mean, I'm the oldest person. I'm the oldest person uh, at Outlaw Radio. Yeah, Outlaw you could Radio. Run, run for president. Well, this is really fun, but I'm the youngest person in the studio at the moment. We don't care, Mark. Yeah, no one really cares about yeah. that. But well, uh, I don't get to say that anymore. You know, I can't believe how old I am. It you shocks care? me. Is that right? Yeah. How old are you? Uh, 71, I think. No, it's 72. I looked it up yesterday. Yeah, really? I'm 72? Yeah. You sure? I looked it up yesterday. Yeah, Google oh. said you're 72, so they're uh, right. Google's probably right, 72. That, to me, I, mean, I thought people 72 oh. were, like, really, really old and, like, had died of heart attacks. Remember stuff. that? <laughs> Remember when people in their 70s were ancient? Yeah. And that really bothers me now <laughs> when I look they, in the mirror are. and I go, God, who's that ancient old Jew in the mirror? That the would, one with the big well, autopsy scar down his chest. That would be me. <laughs> I have the same scar. You have huh? the same scar? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. zipper chest. Yeah. Yeah, actually, amazing. Straight down well, my stomach. Hey, you know what today is? You can have today, a heart attack nowadays and live. Yeah, Google today is celebrating the guy who invented the process I had done on me, the uh, surgeon who invented that. Uh, what, uh, uh, bypass? Who, who would that have been? Uh, I think he's from Nicaragua. I think he was a surgeon from Nicaragua. Or was that the uh, the uh, cryo-freeze of the body while the surgery is going on? No, no, he invented the whole thing with the bypass and taking the thing out of your leg and yeah, all, all that. that's impressive. Well, I had the world's greatest surgeon. You did. I did. Here I, here I am today. And well, yeah, I must have the second best because here I am, too. Yeah, there you go. Except uh, you've already recovered from your surgery. I, I have. I haven't. No. <laughs> I have not recovered from mine. Which now, I, you know, they give you these phases that you go through yeah. after you have cabbage, which is what the, the acronym for the surgery. Uh, coronary something or other, bypass, uh, whatever. And bears, oh my. Yeah. Lions and tigers. Uh if, you know, you're weak, you're this, you're impatient, and then you're supposed to go through, like, real depression and anger, weird stuff like that. So I have this kind of, like, checklist, you know. That all happened. Actually, I was in the hospital the whole time. The whole time? The whole time I was there yeah. uh, running the eighth floor at Cedars. Yeah. I took it over after a little while. I would imagine yeah. you would. Yeah. yeah. We tend to do that sort of stuff. We do do that. Yeah. Yeah. I Who's did. the Jew What about your plastic yeah. surgery? How's that going? <laughs> What's that? Well, your plastic surgery, how's uh, that the going? Plastic surgery has not, uh, not gone well. No. 
He still actually, looks like Burl. Yeah, I haven't actually had the plastic surgery, although I have contemplated it. What uh, type of plastic surgery have you contemplated? Not the one that makes me look like a mannequin. <laughs> In but all just, seriousness, is this true? Just this one. Oh, stop it already. Right, oh, right yeah. there with his, the throat business. Ah. What he's doing, he's pulling back the... Uh, the uh, curse chest. of the In... Copelands, my mother called it. I have, yeah. I have more chins than a Hong Kong phone book. Oh, man. <laughs> Hang on for the humor, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty severe. But uh, that's the only thing I was thinking of. See, I, there was this woman I knew in Las Vegas who was great fun. Uh, a woman in Las Vegas that was great fun. Now, hang yeah, on. Yeah. yeah. Uh, she had some plastic surgery done in Dallas, Texas. Uh -huh. She was very smart. She had it done very, very subtle. You know, nothing extreme. It was just very subtle. So she looked like, I thought maybe she was like in her 40s, like she was in her 20s. Because of the very subtle, just a little bit on the eyes, a little bit here, a little bit there. Instead of the, I've seen people have like, you know, major stuff done and it looks horrifying. It looked like uh, Mary Tyler Moore towards the end, which was not good. Well, but but I want to know about Paul Abdul. Now, did she <laughs> have surgery or not? Uh, the answer in, in my administration, no. <laughs> <laughs> your administration. Yeah. Uh, what what may have happened before my administration and then after, which was moments later. Um, 89 days later. 89 days later. Um, I don't know. I haven't run into her in a while. Yeah, we had the guy who uh, cremated her dog on the air one day. By Is that accident. right? Remember the guy who did the true crime book and we oh, had yeah, to mention yeah, Paul yeah. Abdul. He goes, oh, yeah, he says I cremated her dog. There were many uh, dog around that house. That was a fun. But did, did her dog like peanut butter? You know, I, I don't know. That's a good question. I did. <laughs> Times are tough all over. What's the next book you got coming out, Alan? Um, who, me? No, I, well, my other one just came out, In Chains. That was on the human human trafficking. Well, that's the best kind of human trafficking. Uh, you know what ticks me off? I'll say this just before we go on to uh, promo Matt Allen's program. They're doing all this stuff about what's his name, Epstein and all the sex trafficking stuff. That's not the story. Why isn't anyone talking about the real story, well, which is political blackmail? Okay, you have the opportunity now. Dwell it's a, it's into... political blackmail, just like the Franklin scandal. It's political blackmail. That's the essence of the story. But no one has mentioned that. And it really pisses me off. Well, you've just mentioned it. Yeah, I'm the, old, I'm the second person, I think, uh, in media who's got, excuse me, this story is about political blackmail. Oh, well, we think it's more fun to talk about. <laughs> you mean the fact that he, he donated to the uh, Dems his oh, yeah. entire life? Yeah. Sure, it doesn't matter. Dems, Rebs, whatever. It's the same stuff over You're and right. over again. And the Franklin scandal is the same thing. You get the people in compromising positions with someone 14 years old. You say, You're, of course, going to vote for Bill such and such. <laughs> Why, of course. Hey, Alan, it's always a pleasure to have you. We hope you come back again. I know you will. He will. He will. He'll grow some hair then, too. There you go. Hey, bro. Yeah. What's next? Magic Matt Allen, the Demons of Decadence, live from the Lightning of Lounge. And now on the radio live.com.